During this season of Thanksgiving, we've been moved by the outpouring of love in response to the tragic wildfires in California. Our first responders, as always, are leading the charge, going far beyond the call of duty to protect people and property. We are in awe of their commitment and are forever indebted to them. For the latest on this evolving situation, please visit our Travel Alert page, which provides official updates from across the state. You can find it at visitcalifornia.com. And please support first responders and aid organizations during this difficult time. Together, we can help these communities rebuild. Thank you so much. Welcome to the California Now podcast, produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. You may know Atlas Obscura as the go-to source for the most offbeat, unlikely, or plain unbelievable destinations on the planet. Well, they've created a children's book designed to inspire young travelers. Even if you start with the fact that, like, okay, Bigfoot almost definitely doesn't exist, it is still fun to enter, entertain the idea. And we'll discuss some of the most exciting new architecture in California, buildings that are worth a detour on your next road trip. Plus, we cross the Bay Bridge for an insider's guide to Oakland. The East Bay still does have these kind of secret hidden pockets. Just don't tell anybody else. It's all coming up on California Now. My first guest is an authority on all things weird and wacky and wondrous. Dylan Thuris is the co-founder of Atlas Obscura, a media outlet with a mission to inspire wonder and curiosity about the incredible world we all share. Atlas Obscura has an awesome website you should explore, and they also have a brand new book targeting a younger demographic, the Atlas Obscura Explorer's Guide for the World's Most Adventurous Kid. Welcome back to the California Now podcast, Dylan. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. So congratulations on the new book. What uh, prompted you to, to write something for kids? It's funny, you know, we talk about inspiring that sense of wonder and curiosity in people. Kids have that naturally. It's, it's just part of who they are. And I remember when I was that age, like a 10-year-old, going to the library and poring over books about, you know, hidden temples and, and abandoned castles. And I just wanted to make a book that a kid could open any page and just find a little bit of the world's wonder, something that would, you know, inspire them to, to go out and explore and, and find other amazing things. Well, I love your first book, Atlas Obscura, an explorer's guide to the world's hidden wonders. Is this new one kind of a companion book for the young explorer? It is, although it, it's organized in a slightly different way. Each two-page spread is a country, but then the connection is, say you're in India and you're at the root bridges, you turn the page and you're in Peru and you're at this woven grass bridge, the last Incan bridge. And so you, you move through the whole world this way, going from a waterfall in Zambia to a waterfall, frozen waterfall in Antarctica. And so it's this kind of fun, crazy journey of discovery and imagination. Is it written for five-year-olds or 12-year-olds or, or their parents? The, the perfect age range, I would say, is about six to 12. At that 12-year-old mark, they can probably pull the big book. But the thing is, is it's pretty fun to look through for anyone. Like, I actually think I see adults like slyly kind of paging through and reading it because it's, it's the same thing. I mean, it's, it's the same ideas and this, the places are no less wondrous. It sounds it sounds like the, the book can be used as a guide to find potential off-the-beaten-path destinations to travel to that, that everyone will enjoy. 
Yeah, although I would caution, you know, we have places like Snake Island off the coast of Brazil <laughs> or Blood Falls in Antarctica, places that probably aren't necessarily the top for a family vacation. <laughs> right. Maybe just better to read about them than to actually visit them. <laughs> yeah, in this case, that's probably correct. Yeah. Right. So how old are your kids now? Oh, they're little. They're uh, one and a half years old and three and a half years old. So we've we've been traveling with them, um, but they're not quite. I, I and I looked through this book with my son, the three and a half year old, and he really enjoyed it. We we talked about all the pictures, the dinosaurs, the explosions. Um, but I think he's still he's not quite at the place. Like the difference between Maine and Spain for him is basically zero right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you, so you didn't get any kind of like uh, real tangible feedback. Uh, on the book from your kids, but maybe you got kind of some tangential feedback. He likes he likes the pages that have uh, that have either fire or dinosaurs. That's the main <laughs> that's the main interest there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so what's your philosophy on on hitting the road with your kids? Because because of your work, I imagine you sometimes uh, take them with you when you explore some remote destinations, or, or or are they too young for that at this point? No, we we do. I mean, it doesn't always work, but um, we actually we just took them out to Joshua Tree for a sort of a four day trip, uh, and we had a blast. We saw everything that we wanted to see, and for the most part, it worked great. I mean, I think you have to plan your days a little bit differently and and make downtime and nap time. And but other than that, we found we can do almost everything that we want to do with with the kids. Very cool. So so if you don't mind, I'd love to talk with you about some family-friendly destinations in California that come with the Atlas Obscura seal of approval. So do, do you have any any suggestions for us? Well, I'll, I'll start with the places we just took our kids. Um, and they were sort of all around the Yucca Valley, Joshua Tree area. Uh, so there's so many fun, weird, interesting things in that region. Uh, we took them to a place I'd always wanted to go called Giant Rock, which is the world's largest freestanding boulder and has this amazing story behind it about a miner who lived underneath the rock and was killed in this accidental explosion. And then it became a site for a UFO uh conferences and it's just there's more history than you can you can pack on a page about this place but for for my son and and daughter it was just a place where they could walk around and explore this enormous crazy looking uh boulder and it, it we had a lot of fun um so that was one of a number of places we went to a place called Bob's Crystal Cave at the Yucca Valley Swap Meet so in the middle of this this swap meet filled with all kinds of interesting stuff there's a little handmade cave. I mean, it really is. It is a cave and you go in and it's got a tiny waterfall in it and all of these crystals. And my son was like completely transfixed. He was, (laughs) he could have stayed in there for an hour. It was amazing. (laughs) The thing about that area is there's so much, Um, you know, we went to the world famous crochet museum, which, you know, it, it doesn't take super long to visit. The room is about like five by three. But it's really cute. It's really fun. There's a an outsider artist sculpture park called the Desert Christ Park. And it's all of these big religious statues. But they're scattered across the, this natural environment. And you can go crawling up the hillside. And it's just a fun place to let kids sort of run around and, and yourself kind of run around and, and look at the different, uh, the different sculptures there. And that was built by a, a guy in the uh, 1950s who, who wanted to, you know, celebrate all of these things. Traveling with kids, you know, obviously is a different dynamic. Was was it still fun for you? Oh, yeah. We had a great time. I mean, we really, 
we really enjoyed ourselves. And again, you have to plan your day a little differently. And I, I'm a big believer that you, when you're traveling with kids, it's easier to pick a home base and then do little trips out from there, little weekend trips, little day trips, than sort of constantly be on the road because it's just a pain to break down and set up and break down and set up. And, and But if you can kind of do this more like uh, – you know, circling back to a home base style. I find it works really well. Tell us about another wonder-filled place that that kids love. Well, so this is a a place in Fort Bragg, and it's fairly well known, uh, called Glass Beach. It was this this dumping ground for trash. Tons and Mm -hmm. tons of old bottles and just whatever got kind of thrown there. But over the decades, decades and decades, it has turned into this kind of magical space where the beachfront is covered in these tiny little bits of sea glass. Bottles broke. They got worn down over the over the years. And it's like little gems kind of hidden all around. And the, the sort of irony of this is it, it became this kind of beautiful, wondrous place. And now the problem is that people are taking them. So it's you really you really need to leave all the glass pieces there. But it's it's a real fun treasure hunt with kids. You know, when when I was there recently and I just saw tons of families and kids were having a blast combing through the sand, finding different colored bits of of glass and even the other parts of the area where you see like metal that is kind of rusted into something that almost looks like a geological formation and then you look carefully and you're like, "Oh, those are old cans." Uh that's hmm. it's it's a fun place for kids. And it's near wow. by the water, so that's nice anyway. Yeah, you know, the, the Mendocino Coast is is definitely on my to-do list. And I, I can't wait to see those little gems for myself. I've seen photos of it, but I'd really like to see it in person. And yeah, th- there's got to be a real educational component to places like Glass Beach, you know, opportunities to open up kids' minds and, and get them thinking about the wider world that they live in. Yeah, I mean, you can you get to talk about a lot of fun things in a place like Glass Beach or any of these places you get to talk about how what we do with our trash and how time changes things and how something that seems, you know, not very valuable can become something very special in a different circumstance. Totally. How about another kid-friendly spot to visit? Well, a a great one that's kind of a natural wonder would be the Guadalupe Dunes. Uh, And these are... Big sand dunes that almost look like, you know, you're you're in a Middle Eastern desert. But they also hold this kind of wonderful secret, which is they were the site of Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments movie, this giant epic uh, shot in the 1920s. And when it was over, he just buried the entire set. So ten giant sphinxes are <laughs> sitting there underneath the sand. Uh, and besides that, they have this incredible history of these kind of commune called the Dunites who came out there and lived and made all kinds of art. And it's just it's a place filled with both tons of fun, weird history. And you can find little old pieces of bottles or things from from those early periods and uh, and great natural wonder where kids can just run around, play on the dudes, you know, play with the sand. So it's got a nice combo. And, and he buried it because he just he didn't want other what directors to use his set. That's that's right. It was kind of like a spiteful. <laughs> he built this fabulous thing, and then he said basically tear it down and stick it under the sand so no one can come and and use it in their their biblical epics. Wow. And and where exactly is it? That's in Guadalupe, California. So it's a little bit south of San Luis Obispo, where. If you're visiting the Guadalupe Dunes, you might as well stay at the Madonna Inn, which is one of the great theme 
like crazy wacky <laughs> 1950s 1960s inns in the world i mean there's not much like it so you can make a whole a whole weekend trip out of it oh yeah absolutely is there did i notice a bigfoot related uh uh <laughs> spot as well you did this is this is a a theoretical trip that i basically want to do with the kids so so up northern california uh in arcada first i want to go this is a like a festival an event it is the kinetic grand championship and it's an event that actually has been duplicated and they now they now run in maryland as well but the the kinetic grand championship is the origin it is the original uh, and the idea is basically it's a combination of art and engineering where people build these amazing, weird uh, sculptures that they can also, like, pilot. You know, that they can also ride. So sometimes they're sort of <laughs> bicycles or other things. But it's this wonderful, you know, very fun, wacky event. And then not very far from, from uh, Arcata and the Kinetic Grand Championships is the China Flats Bigfoot collection. And this area is where the like original, you know, that famous film of Bigfoot, you know, this comes from around here. And so they've just got, you know, plaster casts and maps and other little bits of Bigfoot ephemera. But I mean, kids, it's a fun thing to talk about with kids, even if you start with the fact that like, okay, Bigfoot almost definitely doesn't exist. However, (laughs) it is still fun to enter entertain the idea. Um, yeah, as my son would say, hey, we're just pretending. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, and then and then there's a there's a final stop, actually, on that on that trip that I would like to add. And it kind of it feels right with the Bigfoot vibe, which is a little north of there. It's a place called Fern Canyon. Uh, and it's shown up in a couple of movies in a Jurassic Park. Uh, and this is like the quintessential Fern Gully. I mean, it's basically 30 foot uh, tall walls covered entirely in different species of ferns. So you walk through this space and it's like this lush hallway of primordial nature. Uh, It just, it feels like a great place to bring kids, go for a little hike and take them into this kind of magical wonderland. So that's, that, that feels to me like it would be a great family trip. Wow. Sounds really amazing. So we have time for one more recommendation. Where are you taking us? Uh, One more with kids. You know what? So I want to go to San Francisco just for a second because it has got to be the only city on the planet that has two municipal slides. How can you not love a city that's got two municipal slides? So <laughs> they they have the Seward Street slides and both of them are actually great examples of communities who sort of, you know, said we want to save this space and use it for for public fun public use. So uh, the Seward Street slides were, were saved basically in the 1970s. And it was this big campaign uh, to to turn this space to not have it be turned over to developers and instead do something fun for the community there. So they are still these co- concrete slides. Uh, they're smooth. You really need a, you need a piece of cardboard for them. But uh, you can go pretty fast on those. And then there's another set of slides called the Winfield Slides. And it's a similar story. They were falling apart in the 90s. And the community came together and said, we'll take on the volunteer work. We'll, we'll fix these up. And they did. And now they're part of this beautiful terraced garden with these two great long metal slides you can go shooting down. Also best done with cardboard. But anyway, I just, you know, what a fun thing to, to take a kid to do and say, not only is it civic urban education, but you get to go down a couple of big slides too. And they're both pretty long. These are not like six-foot slides. These are like 60-foot slides. 
That's incredible. I've been to San Francisco many times, and I've never even heard of these. You are going with the wrong people. You got to get people to take you <laughs> go, go sliding. Well, it was great to have you back on the podcast, Dylan. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was really fun to talk to you. The new book is called The Atlas Obscura Explorer's Guide for the World's Most Adventurous Kid. And it seems like a pretty great gift idea for nieces, nephews, daughters, sons, and their parents. You can find it at atlasobscura.com, as well as your favorite bookstore. And as always, you'll find links and more information about everything we discussed today at visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. Coming up, California has plenty of world-famous must-see destinations, the Hollywood sign, the Golden Gate Bridge, Disneyland. But sometimes we like to take you where the locals go, and today it's an insider's guide to Oakland and Berkeley. But first, there's more to California architecture than Art Deco and mid-century modern. We've got a fast survey of recent construction that's well worth a visit. You're listening to the California Now podcast. Author Sam Lubell has written eight books on architecture, including the fascinating Mid-Century Modern Architecture Travel Guide. In today's lightning round, we'll talk about some of the most compelling new constructs in California, buildings that have gone up in the last few years that are worth a drive-by on your next road trip. Sam, welcome back to the California Now podcast. Thanks. Good to be here again. So before we get you to share a few of your favorites, uh, Sam, can you give us a quick snapshot of the state of California architecture? Is it an exciting time to be in your line of work? Yeah, I think it is. I think it, re- it really is. I think California uh, is certainly one of the strongest economies in the country right now. And uh, you can see you know, examples like the tech world in Silicon Valley. They're building like crazy. And uh, L.A. is a similar way. It's just growing like uh, maybe too fast. And there's just there's a lot of stuff happening and really, really talented uh, architects to pull it off. All right, then let's get to it. Starting in the southern part of the state and working our way north. Let's talk about some of your favorite new buildings and what makes them noteworthy. I'm guessing we begin in San Diego County? Yeah, let's start in San Diego. Uh, Probably my favorite new building there is the Central Library in San Diego by Rob Quigley. Uh, And essentially what he did there, uh, this library took so long to build, but essentially he's bringing back the idea of this sort of take your breath away, awe-inspiring central space, uh, sort of an atrium to uh, reading room where you look up and in s- several floors up at a time and sort of uh, it, it brings sort of the grandeur back to uh, to architecture spaces in a really uh, contemporary vocabulary. That sounds very cool. What, what's next? Uh, probably the next one is in Anaheim, uh, and that is the new Arctic uh, train station, not Arctic, like in the Arctic, mm-hmm. but Arctic, uh, which is a, a, a long acronym that I won't get into. But essentially, it's a, it's a train station that was built to anticipate, uh, anticipate high-speed rail coming to the state, but it's already being used for regular rail and also to host buses and other forms of transportation. And uh, it's uh, also bringing back the, uh, the idea of the cavernous space, which, I, which I, you can see I love, and the sort of drama to architecture. It's one continuous hall. Uh, that on top is actually covered with uh, plastic panels. They're called ETFE panels. They're inflatable. And uh, that basically helps with insulation, but it also allows for natural light to come into the space uh, from all all around it. Uh, and it opens it up. And it's really one of the coolest new spaces uh, in California. Nice. I'm, I'm guessing LA has got to have some cool buildings, right? LA definitely has some cool buildings and a lot of cool architects. But probably my favorite not original, the newest uh, art, the, the new major art museum uh, is the Broad, which is built by Diller Scafidio and Renfro, uh, and it's on, on Grand Avenue uh, in downtown LA. Uh, it's really injected a lot of energy into that area, 
Uh, and uh, it's the uh, art collection of Eli Broad, one of the richer uh, men in L.A. And uh, it's, uh, it's basically, uh, it's, it's got sort of this waffle exterior uh, made out of, uh, it's really high-tech uh, fiberglass panels uh, that were sort of formed uh, in, in a pattern that you really couldn't do without computer fabrication. And inside, uh, you kind of take this long railway, uh, excuse me, long escalator tube uh, ride uh, up from this kind of cave-like first floor up to this uh, open and completely uh, spacious second floor uh, where you're b- bombarded by art but also bombarded by natural light, which is rare in uh, art spaces. Right. So, so you, you, you're, uh, you're going for the architecture, but then you're also treated to a lot of really amazing art as well, right? <laughs> yeah, L.A. Broad has pretty, collects pretty much every major contemporary artist uh, there is. Uh, if you're looking for the big names in contemporary art, he's got about everybody in that collection, and it's, uh, it's worth it. Right, two for one. Um, where to next? Uh, next, uh, I would go up to, uh, actually up to Silicon Valley. Um, and uh, I, I would, I would uh, kind of look at a, a group of buildings, and that's the new buildings by the Monster tech companies. Um, That includes Apple, Samsung, and Facebook. And Apple, uh, the new headquarters by uh, Foster & Partners, is uh, incredible. Like Apple, it's an incredible kind of perfectly detailed uh, building. Uh, It's a giant disc known as, the well, a lot of things, flying saucer, donut. And in the middle, there's a giant park. Uh, It's absolutely wonderful, except that you can't really visit it. You can only overlook it from the visitor center, and that's very Apple, and it's closed off, and there's walls around it. So urbanistically, I'm not a fan, but architecturally, I am. Uh, Samsung's new headquarters uh, was uh, designed by uh, NVVJ, and uh, uh, the idea of that is to actually build uh, towers uh, around uh, central, central courtyards that keep repeating every uh, few floors so that employees will walk out uh, into natural uh, spaces as, as often as they can and interact as often as they can in the outdoors, which makes a lot of sense in California. And on the, the lower level, there's public plazas that people can walk through. Um, so that urbanistically works a little bit better. And then finally, Facebook uh, uh, by Frank Gehry. Uh, and the best part of that project, also very private because uh, it's Facebook, uh, is a, a, a roof, uh, a, a planted roof uh, where basically the whole staff uh, hangs out most of the time and uh, really uh, a smart use of, of a green roof. Um, so uh, those, are, those are some of the many new uh, tech headquarters and Google's, uh, you know, trying to catch up. So they're, they're coming soon too. And we have to hit San Francisco, right? Yes, definitely have to hit San Francisco. And uh, my favorite building there is actually not quite done, <laughs> but it's the Transbay uh, Transit Terminal, actually meant to be the other uh, end of high-speed rail, uh, but also hosts a, a lot of other transportation uh, options. Uh, sort of an incredible uh, open space, uh, again, bringing in natural light and bringing in sort of that cavernous feeling of the old train stations that you see in Europe. But the highlight is also another green roof, um, and it's basically a, a giant park. I don't know how many acres, but it's several acres, and it's got meandering pathways through it, and it's a public park on top of the building, which I think is really, really a smart design. And that's designed by uh, Pelly and Associates. I think it's uh, Pelly Clark Pelly now. Uh, and they're also building a giant tower uh, ab- above it. So uh, they're basically uh, reinventing the city and this whole area, which is called the Trans- now called the Transbay uh, area, uh, which also has towers by pretty much every famous architect, Norman Foster, Jeannie Gang, and everybody else you could think of. Hmm. All right. So we have, we have time for one more cool new building. What do you choose? I, I go to Oakland, actually. Uh, it's not brand new. It was built in the last maybe 10 years, but it's a cathedral. Uh, it's the new Oakland Cathedral. It's called the Cathedral of Christ the Light, and it's by SOM. 
Uh, and uh, if you like to be inspired by holy spaces, it's a, it's a, it's a great place to go. Uh, it's really a, it's a modern interpretation of a cathedral uh, with uh, sort of a you know fabricated uh, screen in the back uh, that that really you know dappled light comes through. Incredibly huge glue lamb beams that are sort of curved. And uh, really, just a breathtaking, inspiring space, which uh, in architecture is, you know, the best thing I can ask for. That's fascinating, Sam. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This is a lot of fun. I I, uh, I like lightning rounds. Sam Lubell is an author and contributing editor at the Architects newspaper. He also writes for the New York Times, Wallpaper, Dwell, Wire, the LA Times, many others as well. You can learn more about all the buildings he discussed today through our show notes at visitcalifornia.com/podcast. This is California Now, and I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. My next guest is Jesse Ashlock, executive editor of Travel and Leisure magazine, and our subject is An Insider's Guide to Oakland. Welcome to the California Now podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you, Satirius. Thank you for coming on. You know, Jesse, I'm a recent transplant from New York City, and you're living in Brooklyn these days, right? I sure am. And I've heard it said that Oakland is the new Brooklyn, a kind of cooler counterculture alternative to a nearby megalopolis. Uh, do you think that's, that's true? Well, I think that a lot of Oakland residents might blanch at the comparison, but I kind of think it's true. I mean, there's a lot of truth to it in any case. And I think it's become truer and truer in recent years because, uh, well, first of all, the dining scene in Oakland has just exploded. And it's a... It's an alternative to San Francisco, for sure. I think more and more people are heading across the bridge to uh, check out a new restaurant. And I also think that the um, kind of really cool, creative, artisanal uh, culture of making things and making places um, that people associate with Brooklyn has really taken hold in Oakland. Um, You can see it in the changes that have taken hold in downtown. Um, You know, there's this amazing... Food hall called Swan's Market in this like century old um, uh, landmarked terracotta building with all these really cool restaurants, kind of street food vibe, and a really really great farmers market next to it, and that's quite emblematic, I think, of uh, what you're going to experience for food and culture when you go to Oakland, and I think it's something that really started in Brooklyn. Well, you know, the East Bay is is really hot these days as a travel destination. And on a, a separate podcast, we've talked about some of the, the restaurants that have put it on the map, like you mentioned one there. But there's a lot more than food east of San Francisco. And you've selected a few favorites to share with us. So what's the Robert Sibley Volcanic Regional Preserve? It's this wonderful park uh, in the Oakland Hills. Uh, I used to go there all the time when I was younger. And it's a fantastic place to experience the palette of uh, the East Bay, you know, the greens and and the yellows and the browns. Um, there are wonderful, wonderful trails. You can hike, you can go horseback riding if that's your thing. And one of my favorite things about it is uh, there's this stone labyrinth at the bottom of a valley and you'll come to a, you know, come to a cliff and overlook and you'll see it down there and you'll want to just run down and walk through the labyrinth. Kids adore it, of course. And then Sibley's nice just to drive to and from. Uh, it's on the end of um, uh, Grizzly Peak Boulevard and you can drive along Grizzly Peak Boulevard behind the Cal campus and take in these breathtaking views of the whole East Bay panorama. Um, a lot of people like that as a bike ride too. One of my favorite places uh, to just be quiet when I go home. Hmm. So what, what do you see when you're up there? I mean, it's, it's a, called a volcanic regional preserve. Do you actually see evidence of kind of like uh, dried lava beds or lava flows or anything like that? Or is it really kind of way beyond that? It's beyond that, but you can go there and know that this is sort of like the birthplace of the uh, Oakland Berkeley Hills. Um, all those that ridge line bubbled out of the earth here. That's the locus for uh, the, the landscape that people love so much today. 
And and the labyrinth you were talking about, what does that look like? I mean, can you describe that a little bit? Yeah, it's this just this big stone hippie labyrinth on the valley floor. I believe it was built uh, in the early 1990s by um, an enthusiastic park uh, Oakland denizen who visits the park a lot and just left as a gift to park visitors. I mean, it looks really cool with the aerial view when you're approaching on a trail and then you just follow it through. It's not like a, you know, hedgerows or something like that where you can't actually see the end. Um, it's really fun, I think, for little children to follow it through. I've actually, I've got two small ones myself and uh, we haven't been there together and it's on the list of things to do on a, on a future visit. It almost sounds like it's almost kind of a spiritual thing. <laughs> oh, it's a totally spiritual thing. And in that regard, it's it's very much a kind of a totem of a sort of a hippy-dippy sensibility that some people make fun of, but I actually really adore. Another of your insider tips to the East Bay is the Oakland Museum of California. Tell us about that. This is this really cool structure on the southern tip of Lake Merritt. Uh, dates to the 60s. It's this like concrete brutalist structure, um, and it has really amazing landscape design, um, these kind of terraced uh, uh, plateaus. And inside it has this really cool interdisciplinary mixture of uh, art history and science and history history, all kind of uh, having to do with the state of California. So so what what are some of the things that we would see if we were to go to visit the Oakland Museum uh, of California? Well, I do know that there's the Charles and Ray Eames uh, exhibition at the museum uh, right now, and I think that's emblematic of their programming sensibility. I mean, I know that they have a lot of great... Um, 20th century art, including California art, like um, like Deven Korn, um, as well as uh, exhibits that pull from the natural sciences. Um, and it sort of all adds up to what makes California, California. Say we spent uh, the morning in the museum and we worked up an appetite. Where might you send me for brunch? So many choices. Um, I would go for brunch to the classic, classic Oakland brunch spot, Mama's Royal. It's on, um, it's right near the classic auto row in Oakland. And just a friendly place to get um, an Eggs Benedict or um, uh, Huevos Rancheros or just kind of wholesome California brunchy goodness. And for me, it was always the place to go get a, co- a cup of coffee with friends when I was younger. And now I go visit with all of my East Bay friends and their families. And you know, you just kind of spread out and spend as much time as you need there and go do your next thing. It's a very, very welcoming, friendly place. Sounds like it's a place where locals hang out. Yeah, and I believe it's under new ownership now, but uh, from what I've read, not a thing has changed. The whole point is to keep Mama's Mama's. All right, okay, it's time to walk off some of those calories that we just consumed at Mama's. Where do we go to next? Well, not too far away from there is uh, the Tamascal Alleys, which are kind of the main destination of the Tamascal neighborhood in Oakland. It's really, really been up and coming over the last decade or so. And the alleys are, uh, it's this little maze of converted uh, carriage houses that, that ha- house all these independent businesses. Um, there's like an apothecary and a barbershop and uh, a horticulture place and a vintage store. Um, and, uh, oh, I'd be remiss also if I didn't mention this leather goods store called Clapham Thayer & Co. that's run by an old friend of mine uh, named Liz Thayer who makes great, great leather jackets. And the whole place has this really, really strong feeling of community. Um, you know, it's like business owners hanging out together and doing their thing together. And that kind of like creative, artisanal maker culture that's become really prominent in Oakland over the last few years. Um, The larger neighborhood around it is really great. There's great food. Uh, That's where um, Burma Superstar is, which has gotten a lot of attention over the last few years. And there's a great uh, Mexican restaurant called Doña Tomas and a number of other good spots. It's a great, you you don't want to visit Oakland and, and miss Temescal. Okay, so where do we go next as we walk around after the alleys? 
when I was younger, I just loved walking around the Berkeley Hills in the same way that I love going to, you know, a new city today, whether it's like Athens or Buenos Aires, and walking around a residential neighborhood and seeing the the fancy houses. And you can walk around the Berkeley Hills and inhaling the smell of the the bougainvilleas and checking out some of the the Maybeck houses. Um, there's there's one called the Temple of the Wings, which was built in a Greek revival st- style for this dance troupe um, who lived, I think, partly outdoors and were one of the reasons that the hill was known as Nut Hill once upon a time for all the Berkeley eccentrics who lived up there. Wow, that sounds really cool. Are there any noteworthy hotels in the East Bay? There most certainly are. Uh, the most noteworthy, and you can't miss it if you're in the East Bay, is uh, the Claremont, um, which um, recently got... Uh, a total makeover. So th- this is a uh, century-old Grand Dame, uh, and you'll notice it from the bridge, from the city. It's this big, white, castle-like uh, structure. Uh, my One of my defining memories of it was it standing proud and strong during the 1991 Oakland Hills fire while the hills behind it burned, and uh, we should all be grateful that it was saved. Uh, it's now just gotten a, a complete overhaul. There's a new restaurant, uh, new tennis courts, a new spa. And it's just um, it's just a really, you can go there without a room and eat in the restaurant or swim in the pool. And I encourage everybody to visit it because I feel like it's just um, a really nice way to get the feeling of what luxury meant in California in the early 20th century. It still feels that way. And, you know, when we talk about the East Bay, we really can't stay away from the food scene too long. So do you have any other favorites that may be, you know, kind of flying below the radar that we should know about? Well, sure. I mean, everybody knows Chez Panisse and everybody should go there. I mean, it is one of the defining restaurants of our time. It is the birthplace of California cuisine. But I find that a lot of people don't know about the other restaurants in what's called the Gourmet Ghetto uh, along Shattuck Avenue there in Berkeley near Chez Panisse. Uh, there's a place called the Cheese Board that really like did artisanal pizza before that was a thing. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge fan. And if you just feel snacky or you want to go somewhere like, say, the Berkeley Rose Garden for a picnic, you could pick something up at the Cheese Board and go there. There's a great Jewish deli called Saul's. Oh, my goodness. Just thinking about Saul's is making me hungry. Um, <laughs> I mean, these are all just like the, pl- the, 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 the flavors and the smells of my childhood, and I, I, I adore them. Wow, that sounds amazing. Any other insider information before we go? Well, sure. I'd be happy to share. There's this place that I'd never heard of while growing up called uh, Port Costa, and um, I've been going there occasionally when I, when I go home. A lot of my East Bay friends are into it as a kind of insider secret. Uh, it's to the north, like where the bay curves around into the Carquinas Strait and then turns into the Delta, which is also an interesting place to explore in its own right. And it's this like little biker town that you uh, you approach on a dead end and you hit the waterfront and then you'll see all these motorcycles and you'll see all these like kind of raggedy looking Victorians and you know you're there. And uh, there's mm. great food. There's this restaurant and cafe called The Warehouse, um, like just fun, quirky little shops. You, there's, you know, hiking nearby if you want to do that. Um, it's And it's uh, it's still, the, the East Bay still does have these, like, kind of secret hidden pockets. Uh, and that's one of them. Um, and uh, just don't tell anybody else. <laughs> but this is an insider's guide. That's right. Exactly. So, you know, we got to give it away a little bit, but not to everybody, yeah, yeah. just a, a select few. <laughs> Talk to me about the Chapel of the Chimes. What, what's so noteworthy about that place? Oh, the Chapel of the Chimes is um, a columbarium in Piedmont, uh, right near Berkeley and Oakland. And it was designed by Julia Morgan, who was one of the most significant female architects in history, um, probably 
most famous for designing Hearst Castle. Uh, and it's just this, it's an incredibly tra- tranquil place. Um, it's this sort of, you know, labyrinth of funerary urns that almost have this feeling like library stacks. That's what I always think when I'm there. And mm. occasionally you stumble on some like really beautiful stonework or a mosaic or a little fountain. And there's just beautiful filtered light. Um, and it's just one of the like, one of the truly sacred places for the dead that I've ever been to. Um, and uh, behind it is the Mountain View Cemetery. Um, and that was designed by Frederick Law Olmsted, who people, I think a lot of people know designed Central Park. He also designed parts of the Cal campus. And, um, and that's a really like, nice place to, to wander as well. And great views. And great views. I mean, it, sound, it sounds like it's not the kind of place that a tourist would necessarily go, but it might be a really nice place to visit for a quiet contemplative, you know, kind of chill out space. Yeah, 100%. Once you've gotten your fill of the dining scene and um, the loud public places and you just need a a moment to yourself, that's a perfect place to go. All right. Thanks so much, Jesse. My pleasure. Thanks so much for talking to me. Absolutely. Jesse Ashlock is executive editor of Travel and Leisure magazine. Thanks so much for giving us the inside scoop on the East Bay. Thank you for listening to California Now. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Please subscribe. Today's episode took us out to the desert and up to the Redwood Coast. We explored some hidden nooks and crannies in the East Bay. And we looked at beautiful buildings in San Diego, Orange County, Los Angeles, Silicon Valley, and more. As you may have figured out, the best way to see all the amazing sights in the Golden State is via road trip. Fortunately, we've put together a 36-page magazine highlighting a dozen of the best road trips in California. You can order your free copy by visiting us at visitcalifornia.com. 